divided into two groups. There are those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. That is the language of Scripture. There was the church, there was the world. There were the children of light and the children of darkness. Where do our children fit in to all of this? Which group do they belong to? Now, this is an important question to ask ourselves when we consider the Bible's teaching about the baptism of infants. Baptism is a mark which God sovereignly places upon us to declare that we belong to his covenant and congregation. So what about our children? Do they belong? Well, you know, it's not good enough for us to say, of course they belong. That's our tradition. That's what we've always done. Children get baptized. That is our practice. That's not good enough. We may have very good practices and customs, but if we can't articulate the biblical warrant and foundation for these good practices and customs, we are in danger of holding to the form of religion while denying its power. Everything we do, everything we teach as church, needs to be carefully anchored in the teaching of the Word of God. And we sometimes meet godly Christians who think it's wrong to baptize babies. And they point to scriptures like Mark chapter 16. If you turn your Bible to Mark 16, verse 15. Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so... There, they say, it's so clear. What does the Scripture say? What does the Lord Jesus say? Whoever believes and is baptized. You believe first, and then you're baptized. Infants cannot believe. Therefore, infants logically cannot be baptized. What is the scriptural answer to this? Well, it's often good to begin an answer with a question. Ask your Baptist friend or acquaintance, do your infant children belong to the church or to the world? It's a very good question to get people thinking about infant baptism. Now, a, a full explanation of the biblical basis for infant baptism would involve scanning through the Bible from cover to cover, tracing the thread of God's covenantal dealings with his people throughout the centuries, and showing that God has always been and still is the God of believers and their children. But we don't have time to do all of that in this afternoon service. So this afternoon, we're going to focus on that question raised by Baptist believers who point to Mark 16 and say, the Bible clearly teaches that you first must believe and only then can you be baptized. So let's look at that text a little more closely. What is the context? 
So always what you got to do when you're trying to understand the Word of God, you read it in its immediate context, in the surrounding verses, in the chapter, in the section of the book, in the book, in the testament in which it is, in the place in which it is, in the history of redemption and revelation. So what's the context here? Well, what did the Lord Jesus just say? He said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That's the context. What is he telling the apostles to do? He's instructing them that because of what he accomplished on the cross, he has broken down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, and now membership in the covenant people of God is not restricted to the Jews only, but now people from every nation, tribe, people, and language are invited into the family of God. In other words, the context of these words of Jesus is the preaching of the gospel to people who are not in covenant with God. They are strangers to the promises. They are without God and without hope in the world. And when they hear the gospel, they are called to repent and to believe, to call on the name of the Lord and to be saved. And when they do that by God's grace, then baptism will be administered as a sign of inclusion in God's covenant and congregation. A public, sovereign testimony on God's part that they now belong to the congregation washed in the blood of the Lamb. And that makes perfect sense. An unbeliever is saved. An unbeliever is justified through faith in Jesus Christ. When he or she believes, this is counted to him as righteousness. In other words, the perfect righteousness of Christ is imputed to his account, and because he is now in Christ, he must receive the sign and seal of being in Christ, and that is holy baptism. And that's why Peter says what he says and does what he does in Acts chapter 10. If you flip forward to Acts chapter 10 for a second, you remember Acts 10, Peter's call to preach the house of Cornelius. He's preaching to Cornelius, to his friends, to his family. They're all Gentiles. They don't belong to the covenant. They're not circumcised. They don't belong to the people of God. Now look at what happens in chapter 10 of Acts, verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, he's preaching the gospel. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And what's the result of that? Well, look at verse 45. The circumcised, the covenant members, are amazed. Like, what's going on? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And so these covenant members, they're like, wow, look at that. The ascended and glorified Jesus Christ from heaven is pouring out his spirit on people who up to now have not belonged to God's covenant and congregation. If the spirit of Jesus lives in them, then they are in Christ. They belong. And that's why Peter comes to the conclusion to which he comes in verse 47. Peter declared, 
Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Peter is saying, well, God has made it clear that they really are in Christ. So if they enjoy the reality, how then can we withhold from them the sign which points to and confirms that reality? And so he commands them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so that's pretty clear scriptural teaching that adults who come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, who embrace him with true faith, who have the Holy Spirit doing a work in their heart and regenerating them and filling them, they must be received into the church. They must receive the sign and seal by which God declares that they belong. They belong to God's covenant and congregation. But what about their children? Do they belong? Or do we receive new converts into the church and consider their children to be little heathens until they grow older and come to a personal professional faith? What is the status of the children? Well, there are lots of good scriptural answers to this, but this afternoon we're going to focus just on one specific answer. We're going to look at how circumcision worked. In the Old Testament, circumcision was the sign and seal of belonging to God's covenant and congregation. Now, what does the Bible teach us about the adults and the children in connection with circumcision and faith. Well, let's turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, and we'll look at verse 3. Paul's speaking about Abraham. He's speaking about the fact that Abraham was justified by faith and not by works. Look at verse 3. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So, Abraham wasn't saved because of what he did, because he was such a good person. He wasn't saved of because, because of who he was, but he was saved through faith in God. He put his trust in God. He believed God. He believed the promises of God. And when he believed through that faith, God granted him righteousness. And then in verse 10, Paul asks a question. Paul says, what's the connection between faith and the sign of belonging to the covenant? What is the connection between faith and circumcision? And Paul says, well, when was Abraham circumcised? And the answer is clear. Abraham was circumcised after he believed. He first believed, then he was circumcised. Look at verse 11. There in Romans chapter 4, verse 11. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he still was, while he was still uncircumcised. Okay. Now let's think about that. Abraham first believed, 
Then he received the sign and seal of belonging to God's covenant and congregation, the sign and seal which declares that you can only be righteous through faith. Okay, that's how it worked with adults in the Old Testament. That's how it still works with adults in the New Testament. And that's why it makes perfect sense and fits perfectly with what the Lord Jesus said there in Mark chapter 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. That's how it has always worked for adults. Faith first, then receiving the covenant sign. But what about the children? Did God tell Abraham, Abraham, circumcision is a sign and seal that righteousness comes by faith. Your kids can't believe, Abraham. So you make sure that you wait till they get older before you circumcise them. Is that what God said? Did God tell Abraham, you need to consider your child as a little Gentile until he grows up and believes, and then he can receive the covenant sign? That's not what God said. Instead, he commanded Abraham to circumcise his infant son on the eighth day. You remember, we looked at that a few weeks ago in Genesis chapter 21. Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Isaac wasn't old enough to profess his faith. Isaac wasn't old enough yet to believe. Isaac couldn't yet interpret sounds to be words. And yet, our gracious God commanded Abraham to mark his infant son's body with the sign and seal of the covenant, the sign and seal which declares that righteousness comes by faith, the sign and seal which declared this child belongs to the covenant and congregation of God. This child belongs to the community which is declared righteous by faith. So, do our children belong to the church or to the world? Are our little ones children of light or children of darkness? Throughout all of redemptive history, Throughout all of the New Old Testament, throughout all of the New Testament, God has declared that believers and their children belong to his holy covenant and congregation. That's the teaching of Scripture, and therefore that is the practice of the church. Now, how should we respond to that? Well, there's only one fitting response, and that is to worship. It is good to worship God for his sovereign love and grace. When a little baby is baptized, God is saying to that child, I love you. You belong to me. I belong to you. You are part of the church. You are part of the congregation which is washed in the blood of the Lamb. Wow. The baby hasn't even done anything yet. 
the baby can't do anything yet. And already God is just pouring his love and grace into that child's life. Baptism, the baptism of children, is a picture of sovereign grace. We love because he first loved us. Almighty, merciful God and Father, we thank and praise you that you have forgiven us and our children all our sins through the blood of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. You received us through your Holy Spirit as members of your only begotten Son and so adopted us to be your children. You sealed and confirmed this to us by holy baptism. We pray through your beloved Son that you will always govern the children of the congregation by your Holy Spirit, that they may be nurtured in the Christian faith and in godliness and may grow and increase in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that they thus may acknowledge your fatherly goodness and mercy, which you have shown to them and to us all. May they live in all righteousness under our only teacher, King and High Priest, Jesus Christ, and valiantly fight against and overcome sin, the devil, and his whole dominion. May they forever praise and magnify you and your Son, Jesus Christ, together with the Holy Spirit, the one only true God. Amen.